This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, January 7th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. What drives drug prices and what can be done to discipline otherwise rent-seeking drug makers who like to keep prices relatively high? Charlie Silver is co-author of the Cato Institute book, Overcharged. We spoke last week in Dallas. We are in 2019, and uh, at the beginning of the year, drug companies announced rather large price increases for drugs that were already on the market. Why? Uh, Because they can, and maybe also because they're worried that they may not be able to in the future. There's obviously been a tremendous uproar about pharmaceutical prices, Um, and uh, the companies uh, are in the position still where they can increase prices pretty much as they want. Uh, So they do that, and they know that Medicare will pay. They know that Medicaid will pay. They know that most of the insurers will pay whatever they're paying. Uh, And they know that the PBMs also like higher list prices. The pension benefit managers like higher list prices because their compensation comes off the discounts that they can negotiate from the higher list prices. The higher the list price, the bigger the discount, the more money the pension benefit managers make. Uh, So that situation is a sort of commentary on the way things are today. And there might be some concern, though, that uh, things will get tougher on them in the future. Uh, As I said, there's been considerable uproar and increasing political activity in the area of uh, uh, drug prices. President uh, Trump has proposed this sort of... um, Uh, international market basket approach where drug companies would be able to charge in this country only some amount tied to the average that they uh, charge in other countries for the same medications. And the drug companies might see that as the writing on the wall. So they better take advantage of their ability to raise prices while they can. What functionally allows them technically to raise prices? Presumably the fact that they own the formulations <laughs> of these drugs is part, part of the ability to raise costs? It depends on the drug and the company. There are certainly some situations in which the price increases are on drugs that uh, are still under patent and uh, therefore uh, they can raise the prices even though many times they shouldn't be able to because the fact that a drug is under patent doesn't mean that it's the only drug that might be suitable for a particular condition. There may be multiple competing drugs, and when there are, uh, competition should constrain their ability to raise prices, but it doesn't. It turns out not to because the industry really is not competitive. It's not dealing with market pressures. It's, it's selling drugs to third-party payers who have limited concerns about how much drugs cost. Uh, So um, for branded drugs under patent, yes, that's the situation. But for a lot of other drugs, they're simply raising prices because they can. As long as they all raise prices in harmony, there's no competition. What could discipline the uh, price expectations of drug companies? 
Well, there are multiple possibilities. One would be to radically change the way we protect the property rights in drugs. So instead of uh, giving patents for long durations of time and then patent renewals on minor tweaks like extended release formulas or some kinds of, you know, easy on the digestive system coatings, that kind of stuff, we would... Or pre- adding the letters XR at the <laughs> end of your drug's name. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, you know, there's there's there could be r- radical reform of the patent uh, system, We could uh, replace the patent system for drugs uh, with a prizes kind of approach where uh, uh, the government would fund large prizes for the development of drugs that treat identified illnesses. Uh, But once the prize was paid, the, um, the formula would be open to anyone. Anyone could manufacture the drug. And so consumers would not be charged for um, uh, anything relating to the cost of inventing the drugs. That would just be defrayed out of the general treasury, and the price to consumers would just be the competitive price. That's a possibility that we explore in the book. There isn't much political support for that, uh, unfortunately. Another possibility would be to reform the insurance uh, sector by giving consumers uh, greater freedom of choice among um, drug benefits. Uh, So uh, I might choose an insurance program that um, is willing to pay a lot of money for drugs and and pay a higher premium, and you might choose a, uh, a, a pharmacy benefit plan that is much less generous, for example, because you're healthier than I am and you don't expect to have to consume all those kinds of drugs. And that would put pressure on the drug makers to moderate their charges because they would like to be able to sell drugs to you too. Anything that um, anything that moves uh, drugs from the insured sector to the retail sector should cause prices to decline. And that would include making more drugs behind the counter or over the counter? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. One of the best things we could do would be to move as many drugs as possible to a less restricted format. I mean, we're giving physicians control of uh, access to medications. Many of these medications have been around for years. Uh, you know, I al- often wonder why Why do I need a prescription if I want to get uh, treat- a drug for uh, erectile dysfunction, for example. These drugs have been around now for decades. Uh, we, we understand them pretty well, so why don't we have them on a sort of behind-the-shelf basis where you have to have a conversation with the pharmacist, but uh, once you do that, you can have access to the medications. I think there are lots of drugs that are like that. Um, and that would, yes, very much stimulate price reductions. All right. So what would the, what would that do in terms of uh, the cost of insurance, either from, you know, our typical third parties to uh, government programs? Um, well, the, the, the private insurance world, I think, would find... Um, uh, find it having to reduce premiums somewhat. Um, I don't want to overstate it because pen, because pharmaceutical benefits are usually adjuncts to more comprehensive health care coverage. And so they're only part of the story. But to the extent that you move pharmaceuticals into the retail sector where people pay for them themselves, there should be downward pressure on health insurance premiums. Um, 
government programs, too, I think could benefit from this. Uh, you know, it's an interesting phenomenon that um, in both the insured world and the government world, uh, beneficiaries like restrictions on drug access because they only have to pay their copays. So for them, it might be cheaper to just pay the copay than to pay the full retail price of the drug. But what they don't realize is that by paying just the copay, they're driving up their premiums. So they're paying for this privilege in a different way. And we're all paying when the government covers these drugs because it collects money through taxes. Um, so moving things into retail would both exert downward pressure on prices, encourage consumers to shop for the best bargains, and also reduce overuse of pharmaceuticals, which is a significant problem. And, and moving a lot of those into the retail uh, market, presumably that would mean that uh, insurance companies wouldn't feel such pressure to provide coverage. No, absolutely not. They would... Uh, they, they don't cover a lot of things that are in the retail market. Typically, they only cover medications that have to be prescribed by physicians. Charlie Silver is co-author of the Cato Institute book, Overcharged. Subscribe to this podcast anywhere better podcasts are sold and ask Alexa to play the Cato Daily Podcast. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>